Welcome to the Hyper Voice. I am your host, Stephen Morioka, and today I'm joined by Alexander Hill. Alola, Stephen. Alola. And we're also joined by Chris Danzo. Hi, Stephen. Welcome, guys. And before we get on to the show, we just want to say that while this may have passed by the time you guys are listening to this, as we are recording now, it is Alex's birthday, so happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Alex. Thanks, guys. All right, so we had a lot of Pokemon action over the weekend, over this past weekend. We had the regionals over in Georgia. We also had a regional in Germany in Leipzig. Leipzig, do you guys know how to pronounce that? Nope. No. No, no, no. <laughs> the DreamHack German regional. Yeah. European. That works. I think it's Leipzig, so I'm going to stick with that. I hope I'm not wrong. I'm going to refer to it in any other way than by name. Me too. I'm right there with you, dude. <laughs> All right, that is that is totally cool with me too. So anyway, there was DreamHack in Germany, the regional, and we had we have results from these. Now another thing before we get uh looking into talking about these a little more in depth is usually when we're looking at previous uh, results, there are teams posted on Trainer Tower which is a you know, relatively new website for VGC. They usually have the teams and results from, um, posted online pretty quickly after the events are over or even before they're over. So if you guys want to follow along, you can go there, look, pull up both of those uh, pages so you can follow along with the teams and the players there. And you know, just thank you to the guys who uh, get those teams posted up quick. So, you know, everyone has that resource to use, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a very useful resource to have teams from major events, you know, posted really quickly. And, you know, just to have those available throughout the season. You can also perhaps notice any changes that occurred uh, month to month or, you know, th through the season as a whole. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, Trainer Tower stepping up right now and just getting the results posted up so quickly. It, Like you said, it's a great tool and uh, it's definitely something the community needs so that we can keep pushing the meta forward. I'm right there with you guys. I'm actually a big fan of Trainer Tower. I think it's really cool how they're doing everything and all the cool like big teams they're getting. Like they even got Sajun's team on there, which I thought was really cool. And I actually used that to do well at the Missing Showdown. So I'm really thankful for that site. Yeah, and uh, you also didn't uh, just do well at the midseason. You also had a bit of success uh, at Georgia Regionals, didn't you? <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Top cut. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your? team about your experience there you know what kind of uh teams did you play against other players uh well first of all georgia is awesome really great place if you guys aren't planning on going there next year i definitely recommend thinking about it because it was it was so warm and the the city is just awesome uh the tournament at first it was like really slow registration went pretty slow but it sped up towards the end and they really got it going and i don't know i enjoy i enjoyed it a lot as for the teams I fought, I actually, I went in expecting a lot of Finny, Arcanine, Cortana, obviously, because that was the big thing. And I really didn't fight that many. I actually fought more Lapras than I did Finny, which was really weird to me. <laughs> wait, wait, what, what? I fought three Lapras, and I think I fought one Finny throughout my event. All right. Lapras making a big, big name for itself. We did see one Lapras make it all the way to the, into the cut. Did you happen to fight Jackson in Swiss? Yes, I did fight Jackson in Swiss. Okay, his team okay. was definitely interesting. <laughs> it, his team was like, it was unique, and I think it was actually a good medical, as odd as it might seem, because he 
he had a specific strategy of where he snarled, and there's like a lot of special attackers now that are trying to abuse like just like the the fact that there's so many intimidates going around with all the Arcanine that are present on different teams. And because he had such a fast snarl and the fact that he can like foul play things like Cartana and stuff, it's like it's just a good Pokemon to have. And then add that with Lapras for things like the Finnies and the Garchomps are running around. You get like a one shot on the Garchomp and Finney's doing nothing to you. And then on top of that, you got the Golem, which is super scary because it literally, it, he exploded on me game two for the win. Oh my gosh. And Ooh. yeah, the double edge was just so strong. I don't know. It was, it was a scary team to fight against. It was definitely interesting. Yeah, Persian, Gudra, Golem, Lapras, all on that one team. Just not something you see very often. I thought it was really cool. Um, Gudra is a Pokemon that at least I know what it does, and uh, I've tried Persian myself. Uh, I thought about Lapras, too, but never once did I think of really making a team with Golem. I was like, well, it can beat Celesteela because it's one of the few electric types in the format, but he really found a way to make it work uh, and lead him into the cut. I think that's awesome. It was interesting because he didn't even have Trick Room on the team. He he just ran straight up Golem, and it really worked out for him. I mean, he went X and one. So even I think he beat Rajan in the final round of Swiss, and then lost to him in Top Cut first round. Oh, well, that's so strange that uh, get the immediate rematch. Yeah, I think there are two of those actually in this tournament. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I forget who what the other one was, but I know that Rajan and Hambrick played last round of Swiss and then played first round of Top Cut. And Rajan was able to bring it back after losing to him in Swiss. Who did you play in the first round of uh, Top Cut? I played Paul, actually. <laughs> oh, so how I did that the go? Eventual winner. Uh, my game against Paul was actually really interesting. Not, tr- I'm not trying to trash talk or anything. Game one was a 4-0, like, in my favor. And I was feeling really confident. And then game two, I actually I had it in my favor, too. But Paul was, like, really on point that day. And he was making, like, some really good switches, and I was not capitalizing on them and he just brought it back and ended up taking the game and then game three was a 20 plus turn i believe a 20 oh plus my. game wow and uh it came down to a 50 50 and he won the 50 50 and he ended up taking me out but they were all really good games i love playing paul he's such a good player yeah you get to play uh you get to play Paul a bit more than other players since you guys are kind of from the same region. Uh, I know I've only ever played Paul in tournament once, I believe, at uh, U.S. Nationals in 2015, where he smoked me. I mean, I was like, I was doing well at that tournament, and uh, in Swiss, like, I think he was my only loss that day. Or no, 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 I was four and two, so I had two losses. But yeah, I just remember when I played Paul, I got two owed, and like the game was like one of the first ones done. And I was like, all right, well. That's Paul Chua for you. <laughs> yeah, he's he's good. He has like his moments where he's he could very well be like one of the best players. Obviously, I, he's just consistent in general. Actually, I don't know what else to say besides he's like just a super consistent player. Uh, he's always doing well at events. I mean, like I've almost considered him like a rival now because at events I seem to do well at, I seem to always find a way to play him, whether it's in Swiss or Top Cut or something. Like even my only my only tournament win at the Midseason Showdown in New Jersey, he was I played him both Swiss and in the finals. And even at the Midseason Showdown, I just got second out. I played him in top four to get there. So I don't know. I'm used to playing Paul. He I respect him a lot as a player, and I'm very happy to see that he was able to have a lot of success. And now he's like really high in the CP charts too. 
Yeah, I don't know if we uh, officially announced it or made it obvious enough, but Paul Chua did end up winning Georgia Regionals uh, this past weekend, and it was a very interesting final to watch. I actually managed to watch it live because uh, I, I did sleep through all of Swiss, but <laughs> or all of Swiss and all of Top Cut, but I woke up in time for finals, and um, it was a really good game. I definitely enjoyed it and Paul was playing very very well uh, as you would typically expect to see from him and his team while it's really uh like a lot of the Pokemon are predictable he made all the right plays and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see his team popping up uh, everywhere now if there's something I can bring up if you guys want to talk about it the most unique thing about his team in my opinion was the imprisoned muck oh yeah that was really cool oh yeah yeah Imprison muck's really interesting because you can imprison not only like other mucks, but you can imprison things like pe- poison jab against like Garchomp. Garchomp's carried sometimes, even a Raccoonid's carried sometimes. And, and more importantly, you can imprison protect. So that means like, for instance, uh, when he was fighting Ian in top four, Ian couldn't protect his Gastrodon. So it was guaranteed to die from the Leaf Blade and he couldn't switch out safely. So it put him into a pretty much an auto win instead of a game that could be 50-50s. Yeah, Imprisoning Protect is honestly one of the coolest parts uh, of that team, and it's such a cool strategy because you know Protect is uh, always so common in VGC, and uh, locking a Pokemon out of using that move, uh, out of the ability to protect itself, sometimes even when Protect is the most expected play, it's your best play. And when you take that away from your opponent and they can't protect any longer, it really sets yourself up for a good position to know exactly what your opponent's going to be uh, locked into doing that turn. Yeah, I feel like Imprison's a really strong option right now, especially on Muck, for, you know, the reasons you guys just mentioned. And, you know, if this if this continues to uh, rise in popularity, this type of moveset, you might start seeing, you know, other Mucks start counteracting that with maybe using Gunk Shot and Crunch instead. So... That, that'd be kind of interesting to no, see. I was thinking, yeah, what Chris yeah, said. <laughs> the speed creeping is just running max speed muck just so that you get off the imprison <laughs> yeah. first. So that that muck can't imprison you. And then, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, yeah, maybe you're right and they could run other movesets to kind of go around it. But I'm thinking more along the lines of you want to keep your conventional muck moveset. Muck likes what it's doing. So it's just going to go turbo. The fastest muck you've ever seen. Turbo muck. That sounds cool, though. What did you guys think of uh, his twinkle tackle on Tapu Koko? I actually think that was so smart. It was super, super smart what he did there. Because there are so many Garchomps just running all over the place. Because like, pretty much Grandium Z is, as of right now, considered the best Z move for teams. We see it everywhere. Pretty much every top team is running one. I mean, even I think Wolf Click ran it to go 9-0 at the event. And... Having Twinkle Tackle, just it's a safe way of just making sure you can one-shot it and scare it, while being able to do something with, like, let's say, the Arcanine, which is usually threatened hard, like very hard by the Garchomp. Now, I don't know if you know this, but does Twinkle Tackle one-shot Assault Vest Garchomp? I don't know. I could probably do a calc really quick if you guys wanted me to. Uh, and then also something interesting to, for me to think about, if, if you want to do that calc while I'm thinking about it, is uh, I don't know if... The Twinkle Tackle plus Dazzling Gleam would take out a Garchomp that may be protected on the Twinkle Tackle because of the reduced damage. Because uh, while you normally see Life Orb on Tapu Koko, if it is running Twinkle Tackle, it has to be running the Ferium Z move, which means its Dazzling Gleam is definitely not going to be doing as much as it would with Life Orb. 
uh, after using that uh, Zemu. So, you know, I'm wondering if uh, Garchomp's are going to have to start playing a bit more carefully around Tapu Koko's that uh, normally could one-shot them, but if they're running Assault Vest, or maybe, you know, if they protect on the right time, then they can manage to survive against Tapu Koko's uh, if this starts becoming a popular trend. Yeah, I just did the calc, and without any bulk with Assault Vest, it's a 50% chance. So, if you add a little bit bulk, you can actually live with Assault Vest Garchomp, so that might be something people look into. All right, yeah, that's definitely something that could be a reactionary uh, trend to this uh, this item on Paul's Tapu Koko. You also mentioned the whole fact that it's losing damage output because it doesn't have Life Orb. That's actually something I did abuse in our match, because without the Life Orb and Misty Terrain, it's really not doing much damage to, like, Finnies and stuff with Thunderbolts, and even its Zazzling Gleam's not doing that much. I don't think I can one-shot Celesteela in Electric Terrain. I'd, I'd have to do that calc too, but it's pretty close, I think. So, it was something to abuse, but at the same time, I still respect the idea, and, I mean, he ended up winning the whole thing, too, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think another thing we saw at this tournament were uh, Nature Power Cocos paired with some Finnies, and you know what Nature Power turns into under Misty Terrain is Moonblast, so that gives Tapu Koko yet a stronger fairy move that's single target. So people are keep finding ways to get different options for their Tapu Koko to get a stronger fairy move. And, you know, with, especially with the Garchomp being so popular and very good in this format, you know, Coco is going to need some either more power for itself and help with his teammates. Yeah, I could agree with you there. I mean, I actually played against one of those against Nick Borgie in the mid-season showdown that I went to recently. And I think it's a scary option. I also think it's interesting because with that, you can also have a grass move or a psychic move depending on the terrain. And it's even in Electric Terrain, because you can run Volt Switch at that point, and then in Electric Terrain you have a Thunderbolt and a Volt Switch option, which is kind of cool, too. So, I I don't know. It's definitely interesting. I, I've i been seeing a few of them. Like If you look, we have Rajan Ball and Alvin Hydeat, uh, Blarjan and Jibaku, who ran both the Coco and the Finny. So they could have actually had that. I'm not 100% sure if they did have it, because I didn't get to see their games, but they might have. I believe they were running, um, while the teams don't have the exact same order here listed on Trainer Tower, they were running the exact same six, and I think it was supposed to be a variation of Enosh's team that he managed to get second at regionals with, where Tapu Koko was replacing Araquanid. At least that's what I believe I heard from them, and I do know that they work with him, so I imagine that they tried to improve on that team, adding Tapu Koko. I do not know if they had the nature power tech on it though uh and i think that nature power on tapu coco is really cool and i think it's just an interesting move in general uh that we might see catch on since the tapus uh have been popular since day one and i don't see them going anywhere having a terrain of your own is definitely something to abuse and it's really cool how you can just use a nature power to get a nice strong coverage move that a pokemon might not normally learn uh take for example whimsicott when it uses nature power next to tapu coco it gets a priority thunderbolt which is something uh Kind of interesting, kind of fun. Uh, I saw somebody playing a game last night where they had the Z, Normalium Z, uh, with Nature Power, and it basically gave Whimsicott a priority Gigavolt Havoc, and it used it on an opposing Golduck and wiped it off the field before it could even use its own Z move. So, um, and it's really cool because you, uh, you can't totally stop it, um, 
by switching in any of the other Tapus. Uh, I don't know what would happen with Lele if it would stop its Z-move, but if you switch in Tapu Bulu to stop this, uh, you're giving it a stab grass Z-move. And if you're switching in uh, Tapu Fini, it's now got a same type attack bonus, Fairy Z-move. So using Nature Power on Whimsicott is uh, kind of an interesting one, and I really would like to see more of it. I know nobody at least that I know I've used it at this tournament, but it's also just a really cool move in general, nature power, uh, and I want to see more of that as the season goes on. Yeah, I could agree with you there. I think that I actually, I remember I tested with, I'm gonna, I hope I don't mispronounce his name, but Layman, do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah, we've had him on the show before, actually. Oh, actually, okay, awesome. In that case, uh, I actually tested it with him at one point, and when we found out it worked, we were like trying to figure out like these cool ways of doing it and stuff, and he really he pushed it a lot more than I did, but... It was it was an interesting idea, and I the gigavolt habit thing, uh, gigavolt habit. Oh my god, I can't talk today. <laughs> All um, right, no but, worries. <laughs> so the electric Z move, the electric Z move. It was like I remember he wanted to do a test match, and he tested it against me, and just nuked my. Uh, I believe I was using a Raquinid at the time, and just nuked my Raquinid off the field, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." Yeah, I failed to mention uh, that whenever Whimsicott or any other Pokemon's using these nature power moves and getting the coverage, it's also getting the terrain boost on all of them because the terrain converts them into moves that gets uh, into that gets the terrain boost. Of course, if it's using a Misty Terrain Moonblast from Nature Power, it's not going to get a boost because Mystery Terrain doesn't boost uh, Fairy-type moves, but any of the other terrains, uh, it will get that boost on top of it, so it's essentially like using a stab move. If you want to, if we want to move past this to uh, talking about the rest of the teams, I was, I'm I'm just looking at them right now, and there's a lot of interesting Pokemon that we saw. I mean, obviously there was Hambrick's team with the uh, Golem, the Lapras, the Persian, but then we see stuff like Cloyster. <laughs> yeah, we did see Mike using Cloyster. He was using a very typical looking team, and uh, I believe if you want to see the team, Mike posted a pastebin of it on his Twitter. Uh, so if you wanted to go check that out, you could. And he had a cloister, I believe, with no attack investment. And it was using Shell Smash, Ice School, Spear, Rock Blast, I believe. And uh, it was kind of cool. It was uh, just kind of a maybe a something to break through the stall uh, that the form like the stall of the format, I guess, because um, Rock Blast will help take down Arcanine. And I don't know if Ice School Spear at plus two is taking down Kartana, but. It um it was really interesting to see it on such like a standard team, and then just here's a cloister. It wasn't like uh the team was built around this gimmick, but it was just something that he had there. I know he also had toxic Garchomp um and some other weird move set choices, but uh like Morning Sun Arcanine, which uh actually lost to a Celesteela on stream. Uh, <laughs> that was sad to watch. I did go back and watch that, and yeah, the Fire type uh, Arcanine ended up losing to the Steel type Celesteela in a uh, stall war just because morning sun has less pp and flamethrower wasn't breaking through its beast boosted special defense stats but that was really it was heartbreaking to watch because <laughs> i just don't want to see i didn't want to see that match go on forever <laughs> actually i believe the your time or not your time um but the round time was down to below 20 minutes after game one uh ian did manage to wrap it up i believe in game two but uh that easily could have been a match that had gone to sudden death right I don't think I don't know if any of the top cut matches actually went to Sun Death. I know there were a lot of that's something that if you want me to mention this too, there's a lot of Sun Death matches in Swiss. All the Swiss rounds went to like the timer, 
which was kind of interesting, but I think it's kind of expected in this kind of a format now. Yeah, I think we, that's kind of expected in with such a large tournament. And, you know, kind of speaking along those lines, we had we had one of the largest regionals in a really long time. And I think that had to do, you know, obviously that contributed to the extra long registration earlier and causing the delay in the event. But, you know, we're grateful for them for getting everyone who wanted to play into the tournament, you know, not cutting people off at some point who were in line. I was near the back of the registration line, so I was happy about that. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, you know, we had almost 360 masters alone. That's not even counting seniors and juniors. And obviously, you're, you're going to run into a lot of matches that are going to ha- go to timer. And you just said how virtually every round went to the timer. And, you know, someone's going to be holding up each round because of uh, whatever whatever's going on in their matches. But... You know, I'm kind of surprised nothing went to sudden death in the top cut. I'm not 100% on that. Don't quote me. But I'm pretty sure from what I remember, there wasn't a sudden death match. Well, regardless, I know that they did kind of... Uh, things moved pretty quickly through top cut. So uh, oh, there yeah. didn't seem to be any matches holding things up. Um, and yeah, it was really exciting that the uh, tournament ended up being so large. Uh, although I know a lot of people were exaggerating it. On Twitter, oh, yeah. at least from when I saw. Oh gosh! I actually um, remember when I was at the event. Justin Karras walks up to me and says, "We're already past 500 people." And look <laughs> at the line. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then the I was, biggest regional ever. Yeah. No, we, yeah, we didn't I, hit I was that hearing much. over 500 all over Twitter. Uh, I know Stephen doesn't go on too often, so I don't know if he ended up get, catching any of this. But back home, all all of us were thinking this was going to be like the largest regional, like wow, it's going to reach 500, and it's still going. The registration line is huge. <laughs> and I was just like thinking, this is going to be amazing. And then it ended up being sub 400, but still near like national or international level, which is really awesome. Yeah, it is. And I didn't even have to go online to hear the number because, you know, this rumor was spreading quickly yeah. uh, through the lines. It was spreading very, very quickly. Everyone was saying it. And then and it took Rajan to finally tell me, oh, we're only at 300. <laughs> <laughs> i was actually a little stressed about it because i know if it gets to a certain amount they do like groups in a way or flights i guess mm-hmm. and i know flights are a lot scarier than just doing straight up swiss yeah thankfully we got out around 11 local time for the tournament uh, that's when we officially concluded and then we were just waiting for results at that point but do you guys actually know how many regionals paul has won now i think he's at two or three i think it's three he won this one. I know he won Massachusetts. He got second at Philly, or I guess uh, Lancaster that year. Uh, I know he's been runner-up at least twice. I know he's been runner-up twice, and I think he, I think he's been to finals four times and won twice and got second twice. Okay, so two okay. regional wins it looks like for him. Yeah, I think it's more more in Masters too, and, he, and that's not even counting all the times he's had uh, played <laughs> he's in seniors. seniors and stuff. So he's got a lot of accomplishments under his belt, um, picked up a lot of points. And speaking of other multiple champions, we, you know, we can come back to talk about some of the Georgia teams, but I kind of want to jump over to uh, the DreamHack tournament and talk about uh, Marcus Stotter winning yet another event. And, you know, he had a team with a Snorlax on it and a Mandibuzz. And do you guys want, do you guys see any other trends from Europe that may be slightly different or uh, could be picking up over there instead of in the United States? 
Well, the big thing I noticed was all the leleis. There's a lot of leleis there, a lot of lele abuse, even there are some teams. Because from what I saw from Georgia, most there's not a, a single team that just had lele as their tapu. Lele is always a partner tapu, it seems. But, I mean, I'm, there's two, at least two teams here, one of them in the top four, that had just straight-up lele as their tapu. And in general, there were five leleis, the third most used Pokemon in that tournament, which is really interesting to me because I kind of thought Lele was falling off due to all the Cartana and the fact that Mux starting to gain usage and it just doesn't seem to be having the damage output in bulk to keep up with everything that's running around. Yeah, it seems that Lele is nice to kind of just get fast damage in and as long as you can keep Cartana uh, under wraps, uh, it does really good against Arcanine and Feeny, assuming that the terrain is in its favor. Uh, when... Um... Uh, and the, I guess what I'm referring to is uh, what we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the ever so popular Tapu Fini Arcanine Cartana core. And so people are kind of looking to hyper offense to, you know, either wipe out the one of the three Pokemon I've mentioned so that the core starts to fall apart. They don't have as great switching synergy or offensive synergy, uh, just so much synergy in general. <laughs> um, the, the, that core is just like, so so strong um and yeah i guess tapu lele might be able to start putting holes in it especially if it's using like the psychium z uh z move uh shattered psyche is going to one shot arcanine and it's uh if the terrain's up i believe it can one shot feeny as well so uh tapu lele a very strong offensive pokemon that uh i guess could also one shot kartana if the situation were right um so really really uh, threatening offensively, and I think that's kind of why people are going to it. Something you mentioned was the the AFK core, and I just realized that the only two AFK cores in the tournament both actually top got top two in Marcus and in David. And uh, oh, actually, it looks like Billa has it too. It's just uh, offset by one with Lele. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Even, so top three teams. <laughs> there we go. Uh, also, something interesting to note is uh, fourth and sixth, uh, Alexander and Nico. Uh, they had the exact same team except for a Gastrodon and a Lapras at the end uh, of each of their teams. Oh, yeah, and right. I would have to imagine that they maybe built their teams together and just maybe disagreed or just decided uh, preferences on water types. Uh, and that makes me think of way back to uh, 2015 when uh, when Zach Drocomp uh, and Major Bowman. Uh, they all went to the one regional. Which regional was that? St. Louis, I believe. Yeah, St. Louis. Yep. Yeah, St. Louis. Yeah, and they all had the same team except for random water types like yes. Jellicent or Ludicolo. Uh, and it was just like, put in your filler uh, water type and then here's a solid core. Uh, that's actually interesting. I didn't even notice that. Something else interesting to bring up is the fact that Arcanine Garchomp are literally all the way down to 6th place. It goes from 1st to 6th with those, and then there's still an Arcanine in 7th, and then the only team that doesn't have an Arcanine is the 8th place team. Yeah, and it's kind of neat to just see them all just trickling down through every top cut, almost every top cut spot there, and Arcanine and Garchomp are very good Pokemon, so that's not a surprise. And it's also kind of cool how 1st and 2nd place we had Marcus and Davide, their teams are virtually the same except for Snorlax and Coco. So one's opting for oh, yeah. the faster option in Coco, and then Snorlax is more of the trickromancer down for Marcus. Yeah, actually, I didn't... you're right. <laughs> you're right. That's actually <laughs> interesting. I know Steven's probably pretty happy with this news because he's a big fan of Snorlax. 
Uh, and I wanted to ask you guys, because I don't know myself, uh, did Marcus end up winning that midseason as well, or did yes, he not? Yes, he did. He did? He won uh, both So if, did he go undefeated the whole weekend? I'm pretty sure he actually only, I think if I, I don't know if I read it correctly, but I think he lost four games in total out of tournaments. Like four okay. just games. He like, he straight up won both of them undefeated. He just dropped four games in two tournaments. Wow. So he didn't, did he lose any sets? No, no. Because he went undefeated through Swiss and then won both of the cuts. So yes. just yes. lost individual right. games. Mm-hmm. What a beast. Yeah, he had to have gone undefeated if he won all in Swiss and then win the tournament. Yep. Uh, what was I going to say, though? Marcus, uh... Actually, I don't know what I was going to say. But anyway, there was a <laughs> Snorlax, other than on Marcus's team, we have... Um, Georgia also made some neat appearances. You know, I always look out for Snorlax because I absolutely love it. We had on Janice Lee's team in 16th. Also on the uh, Trick Room team that looks similar to... Similar to Gavin's team that won in San Jose. And then Luis Milich in 6th also had a Snorlax on his team. Uh, also paired with Tentacruel, which is certainly unique on his there. Oh yeah, that's actually... Really, I don't... So, Tentacruel's always been interesting to me. Because it's fast. It's a fast water type that also has good special bulk. It's just interesting in a meta with the, all these ground types running around at the moment to bring it. But it seemed to work really well for him. So I was actually wondering what you guys thought of it. Well, see, he had the, or I'm, okay, I'm thinking of a uh, different Tentacruel team that did well in the Dutch Open, I believe. But yes, yes. Uh, I'm assuming that he also had Liquidus because that's really nice against Celesteela's Leech Seed, causing it to take damage instead oh. of heal damage. Okay. Uh, which is a really cool part of it. It also works the same way for, uh, like, say, Tapu Bulu's Horn Leech uh, and any other draining moves like Giga Drain or Draining Kiss or something of the like like that, Drain Punch. Yes. Uh, they would all take damage instead of healing it. Uh, however, I believe it does get the Clear Body ability, which would also be kind of interesting uh, because of Arcanine being so popular. If you uh, wanted to try to get rid of it so quickly, uh, I don't. I think Tentacruel might learn Hydro Pump. It, uh, it could you know, take the Snarl and with Clear Body, ignore the uh, special attack drop and just get rid of Arcanine really quickly. That's actually interesting. I didn't even think of it like that. That's pretty cool. Yes. And looking at his team, he does have the dual fire types, so yeah. Celesteela probably wouldn't be too much of an issue. Actually, it's double fire and double water. That's true. That? That's that's good to point out there, huh? And another Snorlax team without Trick Room. Yep. And he had nine tails to deal with, like guard chomps too, which is actually interesting. That that seems really interesting, actually. <laughs> huh? It was kind of slow without trick room, but it seemed to work for him. I mean, he got top eight. Good on him. We saw a couple of uh, nine tails here at the event, and uh, one of the more interesting nine tails teams was Brian Humes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he had a lowland sandslash and buzzwool. He was the hype of the tournament. Everyone was talking about Brian's team because he was X and 1. He was X and 0 until he fought Wolf. And then he stayed X and 1, I believe, the whole entire event after that. And it's just really impressive. I mean, if your only loss is to Wolf and you're using a team that has such unique Pokemon, you're uh, you're you're going to get some, some hype behind you. And he played really well up until he got Chuppa. But, I mean, it was a very unique team. It's very cool. Buzzwall is an interesting Pokemon. And then... I never actually thought about Sandslash, but I believe he had Continental Crush on it, or he, I'm pretty uh, sure it was Continental Crush or Tectonic Rage. It was one of those two. 
I know it's one of the two. One of the two. I thought someone told me it was Continental Crush, but it could have been either. Does it learn Stone Edge? I I actually don't know. I know it learns Rock Slide. Maybe. Uh, I know it learns Earthquake, and I know it learns Rock Slide. I don't know if it learns Stone Edge because that makes sense for a tectonic for a Continental Crush. But if not, I just probably. Well, I guess you can't Earthquake next to anything either. No, you're right. So uh, you could be right on with the uh, Continental Crush and perhaps a Stone Edge on it just because that would uh, make the most sense with this team composition. But then again, in this meta, we do have a lot of teams that seem to have a Garchomp on it without anything to Earthquake next to. I mean, best example would definitely be Wolf's team. Wolf went undefeated with a team without a floaty, but yeah, he still had the Garchomp to Earthquake with. Yeah, it's almost becoming a trend. Like... You, sometimes you just don't have a room for uh, some of the other flying types, you know, if you don't need Celesteela on your team. And, you know, you can see a lot through a bunch of these top cut teams. And even in previous events, you have Garchomp or Crocodile just running solo there without uh, having Earthquake partners. You know, it's pretty obvious to see that you'll, you'll be using Tectonic Rage on them. But in, in order to Earthquake, you know, you need to be either likely hitting into your partner or protecting them and, you know, makes some of the team building issues a little bit trickier. This is true. This is very true. I mean, I remember back in the beginning of the format, back when like we had the quote-unquote uh, team that everyone was going to use, it actually had both a Gyarados and a Celesteela next to a Garchomp, so it had two things to Earthquake next to. It's kind of interesting how much it shifted. I mean, like, if you look at this, we have two teams with Crocodile and Rajan and Alvin that have nothing to Earthquake next to. And then we even have Wolf and I think it was Chup yeah, Chuppa, who can't Earthquake next to anything either. So it's actually a trend. And they all did really well in the event, too. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think what's uh, what stands out to me most is there's, despite, you know, some of the more standard and common Pokemon that are, uh, you know, obviously strong in this format, you're seeing a lot of wild cards among these teams that let people, you know, show their kind of individuality in their team building and just with the teams. And I think for spectators, that's that's good for them because they like to see that in the uh in the variety of teams. And for us, you know, it always keeps us thinking, you know, why did they use this Pokemon? What kind of role did it have? And you know, as players, you know, we also tend to like seeing variety despite not needing to have it always. Oh, I agree. I, I actually love the variety. I like even so. Like it's cool to see new Pokemon, but it's also cool to see unique, different ways to run Pokemon that are already common. The best example I could see is the Finny that Wolf had, where he had Swagger and Heal Pulse on it. I actually never thought in a million years anyone anyone would try to run that with the Swagger uh, decrease in accuracy. But Wolf made it work. He went nine zero with that team, and that's just a new. Now it's another Finny that we have to like look out for and see. Besides the specs and the Calm Mind one, which is very interesting to me, it's really cool. Top it off with the uh, Cursed Muck that we barely ever saw. I mean, now we have both Imprison and Cursed Muck to watch out for. It makes everything very, very interesting in terms of team preview and team building and just in general. Like, what is this meta shifting into? What have we missed? And I really like that. I think it's really cool. Yeah, Wolf really did show that you can take some of the more common Pokemon and spin them different kinds of ways. Uh, I know that a lot of people are going to uh, immediately like fanboy over that Tapu Fini set, but I do think it was really, really uh, a cool idea just to kind of deal with... like He had the Tapu Lele, like I mentioned earlier, to kind of break through some of these bulkier Pokemon with its strong 
Psychic Terrain Psychic, but he also had Tapu Fini to keep his own Pokemon just sticking around uh, with the Heal Pulse. Um, Arcanine's a Pokemon that, while it does have access to its own recovery, it can always fit it in onto the team. And so having Tapu Fini next to it, uh, Heal Pulsing it, means that Arcanine can just stick around for longer, get off more Intimidates and Snarls, and really just whittle down the opposing team until they can't do damage anymore. And that's a really cool... Uh, kind of partnership there, and Tapufini just pairs really well with almost anything on uh, Wolf's team, and that's really cool to me. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I watched him play a few games on streams, and he would curse up and then swagger himself, and instantly he's plus three. One more curse and swagger, and you're plus six, plus two, and instantly you, you have to get hit on the special side. And there's not really any strong special moves to hit it with at the moment that are really going to threaten it, as much as on the physical side with things like Garchomp that you're trying to actually nuke it with. And because of that, Muck becomes like way stronger. It's almost like, I almost consider it like getting set up with a Snorlax, getting a Cabela drum to where like it feels like it's, it doesn't die and you have to, you're struggling and putting a bunch of resources into something that you really do not want to be putting that much resource in killing. Yeah, a lot of people would compare Muck and Snorlax because they both have the gluttony ability, but they, what's also interesting to note about these two Pokemon that can set up and just last for so long is that they only have one weakness, and you mentioned uh, being able to, not being able to hit uh, Muck with the Earthquake because of its boosted defenses as strong. Well, you, uh, the only weakness it has is Ground, and yeah. the Earth Power is not a very common move in this format, so it kind of just lets Muck just tank uh, anything. That's very true. And there's really not that many super strong special moves as of right now. I mean, the strongest one's probably the Shattering Psyche, right? Yeah, that's typically what you'd expect to see, or some Gigavolt Havocs, or really, uh, I guess maybe Torkoal's Eruption. But, you know, those ones aren't always so easy to pull off with uh, the Pokemon like Marowak around or Pelipper. Uh, which I think is interesting to note, there was not a single Pelipper in this cut, so... Uh, Rain was definitely more popular towards the beginning of the season, but it's definitely falling off, and we're seeing a lot more Ninetales. Yeah, I think Rain fell off mainly because of the Finnies that are running around now, because Finny kind of just straight up walls it, and then also the Assault Vest uh, Cartana that makes it even more difficult for Rain to be able to do something. Just in general, Rain seemed to struggle against the more bulky options, and because of that, it seemed to have fallen off for the most part. Now we see other water types, like obviously the Lapras that we saw at both regionals. We see uh, a Gyarados that actually got second after falling off for so long on a Sun team, too, which is really interesting. Even Cloisters, like we see Cloister, we see Raquinid, all kinds of unique water types. Tentacruel, so... Yeah, I gotta agree with you with uh, Vinny and Kartana usage increasing. You know, that kind of shows the right trend there with Rain kind of disappearing. You know, it didn't we don't see a single top cut appearance by rain mode in either regional that, that happened. And, you know, kind of the same thing with Tapu Bulu. It used to be around a little bit more than it, than we see it now. And, you know, all we see is the second place finish here by Juwan Kim on that Sun team. And, you know, that again goes into the, uh, increase of poison moves on Pokemon and Kartana, the increase in Kartana as well. So Tapu Bulu is not having as fun a time as it used to have you know obviously still a pokemon you need to watch out for it's dishing out strong uh grass moves but i also wanted to ask you guys were there any like any specific teams or pokemon that really stuck out to you like were you surprised that they got far you know maybe other than jackson's because we've already talked about his team a bit oh besides jack and jackson and uh brian uh 
obviously the tentacle interested me, but the one the, the one team that interested me the most that got really far, besides Jawan's too, I guess, because Jawan's was actually probably the most interesting, was actually Ian's, because I know Ian's been running the same exact team since the beginning of the year. And for some reason, out of all the events he's gone to, this is the event where the turn, the team seemed to really pick up where he what he wanted to do. It was probably because of the fact that people really didn't have much for the uh, Jellicent, not Jellicent, <laughs> I just call it Jellicent, <laughs> <laughs> for the Nihilego and the uh, the Incineroar. That duo actually seemed to do him wonders because people are trying to deal with Nihilego with their Kartana, and when you have a a uh, Incineroar next to it, you're getting threatened by the fire moves plus the fake out support, which really can really make a, a matchup difficult. Yeah, and while we didn't see many Nihiligos, uh, Nihai Lego, however you say it, <laughs> um, we didn't see many of them. We only saw two of them in the top cut. They both made it uh, to at least semis or further, uh, so it definitely seems to be a strong meta pick. Both of them paired with fire types to annoy Kartana because of its uh, you know, very strong matchup against it, and it, it was just really cool to see how... People are trying to, you know, poke holes in the uh, Tapu Fini, the AFK core, as you called it. I actually hadn't heard that name before today, but <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot shorter than listing off the Pokemon every time. Um, and yeah, it's really nice to, because uh, de- it deals so well with Arcanine and Tapu Fini, uh, thanks to its high special defense stat and awesome offensive coverage. Uh, just pairing it with a fire type can be enough to kind of scare Kartana away. And uh, on Juwan's team, we saw quite the interesting ways of supporting that Nihiligo with a fast hidden power fire from Lilligant in the sun and uh, other ways to maybe annoy Pokemon uh, giving Nihiligo a tough time like Bulldoze on Torkoal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was super, super weird and interesting. Uh, I like When he brought that out, I think at the end of uh, his top four set against Alvin, um, it was just so strange to see. I didn't even know it learned that move. I didn't know either. It's definitely an interesting speed speed option. And speaking of uh, speed control, I was just thinking about it. I wonder if Ian and Juan ran different forms of Jelly. Because I don't see a Trick Room option besides Jellicent. Jellicent does actually learn Trick Room. We don't see it too often. but <laughs> Jellicent? <laughs> Not, oh, I keep saying Jellicent. <laughs> I, I call it Jelly. I don't call it Nihilego. So when I see it, when I'm now, I'm trying to speak of it as in Pokemon terms, so I can keep going as Jellicent. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like, I wonder if he did run the Trick Room on it because I didn't get to see, I didn't get to see the finals match or this game one of it, but I did get to see Ian, and I know Ian did in fact run the triple attack focus dash one. So who knows? Maybe, maybe it did have Trick Room. That just shows another different way you can look at the Pokemon because. I mean, if you look at Duan's team, you'd assume he would want the Trick Room option for the Torkoal. But then he didn't even have Eruption, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, what was his full Torkoal moveset? I know uh, one of my favorite things about that Torkoal was the Heat Rock. I thought that was a really smart item to put on it, because uh, a lot of people try to stall out Sun Turns just so Lilligant doesn't give them as hard of a time. And uh, when you're counting them down, and then suddenly the last one ticks off and Sun is still there, uh, sometimes that's just it. That's how you lose the game. <laughs> Yeah, he actually had Heat Rock, Overheat, Heat Wave, Bulldoze, Protect, I believe. Yeah, last move was Overheat, too. And, you know, I like the option for Heat Rock. Torkoal doesn't really have that many other item options, maybe other than the Fire EMZ and, I guess, Charcoal. So, you know, 
is very creative there. So I like seeing that. I guess one of the one of the things I did see that I thought was kind of neat were on I think Elvin and Rajan's team. The Porygon was mixed, a mixed attacker. It had both special moves and either return or frustration for uh, the stab normal move there. So I thought that was kind of neat to use abuse download in either direction. I believe Wolf actually had it too, if I remember. If I oh, remember he right had now. it too? Yep. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting because I know if if we go to my team, my team actually was EB'd so that way I, it always got the attack boost. It never got the special attack boost. And people decided that instead of, you know, being like, oh, okay, I'm just going to deal with that and just have download anyway. They're like, maybe I can abuse my download. So they decided to give a return, and it's actually got a pretty good attack stat, believe it or not. So it's definitely interesting. Stab return at plus one is still going to do a lot of damage. Yeah, I always like to compare Pokemon to Talonflame because it's such a common physical attacker. And Porygon 2 does have a 80 attack stat, which is only one uh, point lower than Talonflame. And uh, if it gets the correct download boost, it's going to be hitting plenty hard, so... Uh, using return is hitting just about as hard as uh, Talon Flames using like a choice band or something like that. So uh, definitely can still do uh, hold its own. And without the boost, you know, try attack uh, is not going to be hitting as hard. So uh, it's really nice to take advantage of that. But uh, going forward, we're going to see it kind of having a bit of trouble against maybe Arcanine just because of its. Uh, Intimidate ability, and also uh, if they see the return, they might start to Will O Wisp Porygon since having residual damage on Porygon is already a good thing. Uh, and so we might see more Arcanines giving Porygon too trouble. Can I just say, I never thought through all these years of playing I would ever see a physical move <laughs> on Porygon 2. That, <laughs> so that is just so wild to me. I mean, we've seen a lot of interesting things. I, from all my time playing, I thought that Ray Razor would literally be the only person to use the Torkoal competitively. And at a big stage. But now here we are with Duan, Torkoal actually being really good and being able to get second place at a regional. I mean like a few right plays and maybe he could have been he could have won and we could have had Torkoal as a regional champion Pokemon. Yeah, you know, Paul Paul did get some help in game one with some of those paralyses too. So who knows? Things could have been different, but Paul ended up winning. Um yeah. Tork no Drought's helping it uh, a ton too, you know, something it didn't have before. You know, it's still surprising that Ray brought Torkoal to 2013 Worlds before it had Drought. This is true. It definitely got a huge buff, especially with the fact that it's the slowest Pokemon in the format, tied with... Is it slowest or is it... I think it might be second behind Pukumuku or Pukumuku. Well, it? yeah, yeah. If you're talking about uh, Pikumiku, I think Torkoal's the slowest Pokemon that you typically will ever see. Yeah, see. yeah. But you know, Munchlax is also slower, and this is uh, true too. There might be some other Pokemon slower than it, but uh, out of the ones you see, Torkoal is going to be pretty much the slowest. Uh, it was also see. interesting to note that on Juwan's team, he had two Z moves, uh, which you know isn't the most unheard of thing, but. He had, I believe, both Bloom Doom on Lilligant and then Tectonic Rage from the Gyarados. And uh, oh, really? I imagine, uh, I actually, no, I can't think of a total reason why he had Tectonic Rage on Gyarados. Maybe it was to deal with Nihiligo, which otherwise can be kind of annoying for his team. Yeah, I, could, but, I would actually think it's that. I mean, it looks like he doesn't have a very solid way of dealing with Nihiligo besides, oh, not Nihiligo, I was actually thinking of uh, Muck. 
because <laughs> yeah muck too muck would be a bit annoying for this team as well uh and so that's perhaps what he's doing because he did have dragon dance ta- did he have taunt too i don't i don't remember i, I don't, don't think, think so i don't think so maybe he didn't he's probably taunt. gonna have waterfall he has to have earthquake for that z move and then yeah. dragon dance protect so i'm guessing i'm well i'm, I'm pretty sure that's his move set and what's kind of neat about having those two z moves with the tapu bulu is with grassy terrain, they interact with each other the opposite way. Bloom Doom gets a power boost. Tectonic Rage gets the decrease. Well, it doesn't actually get decreased. Oh, uh, sorry. The, the his earthquake then later yeah. if he uses it. Tectonic Rage isn't actually earthquake. It's like a transformed earthquake that no longer identifies as earthquake. Yeah, if you ever want to remember what moves get decreased ground wise, I always it's always the moves that are spread for ground moves. So. Earthquake, Magnitude, Bulldoze, things like that, they get decreased from the grassy terrain. Oh, so those moves that actually have to tear through the ground. How about that? Yeah, that actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense. No, that's actually good to know about Tectonic Rage, because I didn't, I wasn't 100% sure on that. And while Torkoal was definitely not using Bulldoze for damage, it te- is technically reduced when it's in the grassy terrain. It is, this is true. Um, I actually, sadly, if I, as I'm looking at the top cut, I only played two people on top cut during Swiss, and that was Chuppa, who was running a very interesting team, and it came. That's another game that came right down to the wire, and that was on stream. And I believe after doing a little research and playing a few games with other people who've been using the team, it was a Salt Vest Gigalith, which I find kind of interesting. Um, and then I also played, if I can find, I played Hambrick. And Hambrick was running a pretty interesting team too, as we stated. I don't know the item on the the golem, but I, knew, I do know he actually ran the life orb on the Feromosa, and he ran water water MZ on the Lapras, which was very interesting to me. Oh, Looking definitely. at his team, uh, I guess Lapras might have the the Waterium Z just because he didn't really have another Z move on the team. Uh, but you know, Feromosa would definitely be the number one candidate in my head to have the Z-move, just looking at the 6. However, that does sound really interesting, having Hydro Vortex. Maybe that was just kind of his fastest way to get rid of Arcanine. That would make sense. I mean, when I was when I first started playing him, and he led Fermosa, I instantly thought, okay, he's going to fight EMZ into me. And then later, when I found out that he had the life orb, I was kind of confused, and then he water EMZ'd into me. And even though it's not the strongest, it still hits pretty hard, because he's running Hydro Pump with it, so... It was still scary, despite that. Yeah. Well, what did you actually think of um, the Assault Fest on Gigalith? Because, I mean, it is giving it massive special defense with the Sandstorm boosts. But, um, you know, Gigalith could always appreciate Protect and Wide Guard. But are, I'm guessing he has some kind of speed control on there, maybe with Bulldoze or... Um, actually... It, Rock Tomb is the speed speed one. Actually, I do know the moveset. It's Stone Edge, Rock Slide, Heavy Slam, and Earthquake. Okay, so no speed control. No speed control, actually. It, I didn't get to actually fight the Gigalith. He brought Coco, Cartana, Arcanine, and Garchomp, I believe, all four, all three games, I mean. And it was Snarl, Arcanine. It was it's pretty much what you expect out of the Pokemon, with the Ground EMZ, the, the standard Snarl, the standard Life Orb, and the standard Sash. Or I guess not as standard now, but... The team was pretty much straightforward on how it worked, but it was still pretty well built and pretty scary to play against. 
I was going to say that it's another one of those cases where the team has nothing to earthquake against or yes. next to, and Gigalith, you know, it could be a potential earthquaking partner for Garchomp if it had the wide guard, but instead it has the assault vest, so not only can it not protect to avoid its Garchomp's own earthquake, but he added earthquake of its own, which is already on a team with no earthquake synergy, so... Uh, I just, I guess, uh, VGC 2017 just treats Earthquake a little differently, whereas in past formats we saw a lot of Pokemon levitating or, uh, ways to avoid Earthquake. However, I guess we're a bit more limited in this format, not as many of the popular flying-type Pokemon, uh, which actually I think typically ended up being legendaries anyway. Um, this is true. They, uh, it's not, uh, as common anymore, so people are just running ground EMZ to get off that one big ground move and then... I don't know. I don't know what else they're doing with their Garchomp, you know, because Earthquake's a pretty cool move. <laughs> <laughs> I think he but... had Dragon Claw, too, actually. He did have Dragon okay, Claw. Okay. Um, Dragon moves seem to be a little weird to use right now. I mean, if you look at the top cut of, I believe, both regionals... Yes, if, I, if I'm if i reading this right, uh, there's only one Salamence, and Salamence used to be a very popular Pokemon before Finny got popular, and now, because of the fact that all the, the Misty Terrain's always around... The dragon type moves are weakened, and it makes Salamence harder to use, even though it's a good intimidator and something you probably EQ next to as well. It's kind of a shame, actually. But yeah, never thought I'd see Salamence falling off so fast. It might come back. Who knows? Because in the end, if you look at it, the top two teams, actually three of the top four teams, didn't actually have a Finny, despite the how popular it was throughout the rest of the top cuts. I believe that actually. Well, it depends on what region you look at, because in Europe, Finney's doing great, and in uh, in the United States, Finney does well, but it's actually still never won a major event yet. So, that might be something to look into, something that people might yeah. try. The, like Maybe people will start shifting away from Finney and try Coco more, because Coco seems to be gaining a lot of popularity now. I guess we'll have to wait and see with what happens. You know, a lot of Big events still to come. Um, it was actually interesting because I didn't, I never uh, realized that Finney did not win an event yet. You know, just something I had never thought about yet. Um, that's kind of neat. Like, hasn't taken the title yet. I mean, it won the midseason showdown, but I'm considering midseason showdowns are considered like not as good as regionals. I mean, they're definitely not. So when I look at like big finishes, I think of regionals and like nationals and stuff. And right. it's never taken a regional. So. I mean, it's gone second twice, I believe, now. <laughs> this is actually its worst finish, I think, at a regional, if I remember correctly. Top four. <laughs> Still not bad. Um, yeah, MSSs definitely don't fall into the major event category. <laughs> I mean, they're don't get me wrong, they're good. They're good events. They give you quite a bit of CP, and they're definitely worth going to. But in the end, regionals seem to be the big one that everyone's aiming to win. And then obviously Nationals and Worlds too, but Regional seems to be that one throughout the year that everyone's like aiming for and bringing their, their top-notch stuff for that point in the format. Yeah, so do you guys have any closing thoughts before I move on to talk about something else? I guess the last thing I want to mention uh, is that while we talk about a lot of other Pokemon, uh, the ones that are either on the rise or common in general. Uh, there's one Pokemon that's been really consistent and it's uh, always around is Porygon 2 is still sh uh, just kind of everywhere. Uh, although it was actually uh, nearly completely absent from the German regional cut. Uh, one of them did manage to make it in there. 
Uh, so kind of a weird trend, you know, it's still very popular here in America, but it's falling off in Europe, perhaps. And um, it's just, but in general, it's been a consistent Pokemon that people just uh, kind of don't talk about a lot because uh, it's just kind of so common. And everybody knows that it's just the, the sitting duck. It like it sits there and sets up Trick Room and kind of lasts forever. It's usually the last Pokemon that you're going to be taking out on your opponent's team unless you have some kind of strategy to get rid of it quickly. Um, it's just because of that Violet. It's just so bulky and it lasts a long, long time. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that P2 is probably... I actually... Funny story, before in testing, before the event, I got to like 1800s on Pokemon Showdown without bringing P2 once. And I went to the event and I was struggling to find a reason to bring P2 to a Pokemon battle. And I don't know why I was struggling so hard, but then finally I got on stream against Choppa and P2 seems to just help so much against the, the Coco plus Garchomp lead. Because you have to double into it, otherwise it's the P2 is just going to run all over them. So it kind of takes a lot of pressure off of your secondary Pokemon in that regard. And P2 just seems to have that effect on people where it just pressures and is able to, in general, just stall out matches, set up Trick Room a lot easier for you. And and its move pool is actually not the worst ever. I mean, not the worst at all. I mean, it gets Thunderbolt. At this point, people are in return. Tri-Attack, Ice Beam, Shadow Ball. I know that Paul ran Shadow Ball, Ice Beam on his... I personally ran Thunderbolt and Ice Beam, and it just, in general, it just does damage and is bulky, so it's pretty cool. Good partner for a lot of unique Pokemon. At a lot of major events, we've uh, seen Porygon being the number one Pokemon, and I'm wondering how it'll fare for the rest of the season if uh, we still need a lot of uh, Trick Room Pokemon, or a lot of people use it for anti-Trick Room, or if it'll start to fall off as people find more ways to either get rid of it quickly or just kind of let it sit there and just be super passive and deal with it in the end game when they've got a Pokemon number advantage. Yeah, time will have to tell with that. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to talk about two other quick things. And that is Pokemon Bank and the South American International was announced as well. So Pokemon Bank's not out yet and it's roughly, what, uh, a little past middle of January. How are you guys feeling about that? I was informed that it was going to come out like right after Dallas happened, like or right before Dallas happened. One of those two, like right around that area. So I was prepared to have things like the the fake out Lazzle and uh, I believe things like Faint, the uh, the new flower Pokemon gets Faint. I forget its name. It starts with a T. Uh, no, no, Serena. Serena. Serena gets uh, Faint. When, when uh, Bank comes out and stuff like that. So there's a lot of interesting moves that we don't get yet that we're going to be getting as soon as Bank comes out. I think the big one that everyone's talking about, though, is Salazzle with the fake out. Uh, I was just going to say, I kind of expected it to come out like I heard uh, yesterday, which was um, yeah. January 17th. I thought that's when it was going to be coming out. And so worst birthday present ever, basically. <laughs> but uh, No, but I was really honestly hoping for Bank because uh, it would be really cool to talk about and it'd be like a bit of a middle meta sh- uh, shakeup. And um, I've been experimenting with Clefairy and uh, it doesn't get Heal Pulse until Bank comes out. And I think that would be another very useful move oh, yeah. to have on it. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see once that eventually does come if it better does they did say january so uh i guess we can get our pitchforks once january 31st rolls past and then <laughs> uh that's when we'll you know 
get to really be angry about it because they, I believe they did say January. Isn't this actually the same thing that happened last time we were getting bank though? For X and Y? Yeah, I'm pretty sure like they were late for bank and X and Y as well, if I remember correctly. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not totally sure. But, you know, I wish it would come out soon, you know, just so we can, you know, it'd be, it'd be really fun to talk about some of the new changes for some of the Pokemon, at least, who you don't see much usage, usage out of to see if they'll have any impacts, you know, right away. You know, other than that, you know, time's running out for them to get it out on time. So I'm, ho- I'm hoping we get it. You know, I hope there's no delay on any of that. We can all only hope at this point. I mean, we're still waiting on stuff like Intimidate and Sinroar, which we might not even ever get at this point, so... Only time can tell. What about Shadow Tag Chandelure? Yeah, what about Shadow Tag Chandelure? What happened to that? <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting years for that. Oh, uh, just disappeared. But, um... Yeah, Incineroar is something, you know, with the Intimidate, you know, it'd be, it'd be so good with Intimidate and Fake Out, you know, to have that kind of Pokemon again, but... It's something that is possibly may not have even show up for VGC 17. We may not get it till next season, so who knows? That'll just be like probably some event thing at some point. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it exactly. I don't know how they plan it. Usually it has something to do with like a movie. So maybe we're just waiting on a Pokemon movie to come out where we have the three starters final forms in it. And then from there, they'll have like special releases for them. That seems to be how it goes from my my uh history of watching these happening i mean like i'm pretty sure they did that with the shiny uh suikunente and raikou and stuff like that so you guys know it would be great for them to come out with that this summer when that new movie comes out right before worlds right before yeah worlds. there we go right before that'd be perfect <laughs> brand new intimidate incineroar well guys uh <laughs> we did get uh we did get the johto starters and the uh, cat, not no, not cows. Unova starters, so black and white. Uh, we got both of their starters hidden abilities through Pokemon Bank. They were, uh, I believe, I don't know which ones were for signing up for it. I think that might have been the Johto ones, and then sometime later, if you, uh, I think renewed your Pokemon Bank for another year, you got the uh, Unova starters with hidden abilities. So who knows? Maybe this could end up being uh, a way for us to get hidden ability Pokemon. It could also just give us like. X and Y hidden ability Pokemon or first gen or something else like that. But uh, Pokemon Bank has given us hidden ability starters before, uh, at least twice in the past. So uh, I don't know. It's something to hope for. That's something to hope for. I've been told by a lot of like top players that if when Incineroar gets intimidated, it might be like top used Pokemon, best Pokemon in the format. It might actually be that good. So who knows? We'll see. I mean, the other two abilities are pretty cool too. I mean, like, uh, whatever hyper voice that seems like a fun little option to have oh yeah i think so too uh whatever i don't remember what the ability is called liquid voice maybe i think so yep that's what's it. uh decidualize i forgot uh it's nothing good it's like is it sniper? Uh, long, long reach long, long reach. reach it just avoids like rocky helmet and iron barbs and rough skin oh uh, <laughs> okay yeah it's, it's just turning into a sharpshooter uh not that it isn't one already uh last thing so Bank, please come out soon. We're all hoping for you. Um, same with the Intimidating Center, that would be great. Last thing is, over the weekend, the South American International is also announced for April, which is just a month after the Oceania one. So, April 21st through the 23rd in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, guys, any plans? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I actually didn't even know. 
that it was announced until uh, I saw it in our uh, group document uh, about what we were going to be talking about. So, yeah, I uh, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Uh, it sounds exciting, though. Yeah, I know people have already been talking about it, but I believe like the prices are pretty high already. So we'll see. We'll see who can go. I know that they... I have a question, actually, really quick. Did they say that we only had four international challenges? International, yeah, international. Right. Yeah, right. I believe so. So right, there are only four. So in this case, we had the London one, we have the Australian one, we have this one coming up in Brazil, and then we have the U.S. one, right? Uh, North America. North American one. So right. it could be anywhere. It's called North America, but it's it's gonna be in the United Hopefully. States. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll hope. Otherwise, I gotta get a I gotta get a passport. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably going to be at Toronto, so I'm going to, I'm going to have one anyway, hopefully. So we'll see. Either way, yeah. uh, in that case, we have all four of them pretty much confirmed. We're just waiting on where the last one is, which hopefully it will be around this area somewhere, which is really cool. Yeah, I'm holding out for Chicago. Yep, same here. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> I don't think they've ever actually made an announcement yet about it, but the stipend thing for international challenges... Do you think they're still going to do that for the top eight players? Ooh, I don't know. That's, you know, still something we'd have to wait on, I guess. Like, there hasn't been any announcement yet. Because that would be very interesting, because then the top players will get to go to another international challenge. And in that case, it's going to be it's gonna be very interesting, because we'll have a lot of top players in Brazil who can actually make it a very, very interesting tournament to see. I mean, either way, it's going to be interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to fly out to it. But... Getting like some of the top players, like as of right now, I believe it's Tommy, Ian, uh, Chuppa and Wolf. Chuppa, Wolf is Wolf up there? Yeah, Wolf, I believe, is uh, fourth. Well, now now he has to be fourth because he just did so well. Yeah, in that case, we'd have like we'd have a Wolf going there pretty much for free, being able to show us what he can do and show us like what he's come up with, and that'd be very interesting to watch. And I think that would help make it more entertaining. It's just a matter of if they are willing to do it. Yeah, I think when the at, when at first the stipend and travel information was first announced about, you know, just the season in general, we all kind of pretty much knew it was going to be a mess going out throughout, and still seems to be that way. Uh, still a lot of mystery shrouded around it, and we don't fully understand how things are going to work. And it looks kind of messy with the two internationals, you know, kind of lining up one month apart like that. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. I didn't even think of it like that, but you're definitely right in that one. I want I wonder if they're actually gonna go for it then. It would be it's cool it's a cool concept, but it's obviously a lot of money and I guess in a way it makes it difficult for people who are not in the top eight to catch up because now all of a sudden they don't have like the top players have a free trip. So it might be a little difficult in that regard, but who knows? We'll see. Right. Especially for, uh, you know, people going for day two worlds, you know, that's the biggest issue for them. The only other thing really is this, this system wasn't executed very well. You know, even though it's the first year really doing it this kind of way for VGC at least, um, you know, there's still time to see if it's anything will be alleviated, but, um, we'll see what happens with it. North America, you know, I think our international is going to be probably summer like our previous nationals used to be. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. I'm just kind of happy that they're trying out new things, you know. It's kind, of, it's kind of a cool concept to have, like, bring out the top players and 
having being able to go to more events to bring more like traction and more make people want to actually tune in and be able to watch these events happen and go down. And I just like the idea. I just don't know if they really did the proper way they should have. Maybe instead of doing it, like here's an idea. Maybe instead of doing it like, you know how they're doing PCs, how each PC for each region they have, uh, you can only get two finishes and that only counts for that season. Right. Maybe they should cut the seasons up so that way there's like regionals in each region for each season. And then whoever gets the most points in that season get the free trip. So they base it off of the CP you get for a specific time frame and then go from there. That's just an idea I have, but I don't know how they'd really be able to do that properly. Yeah, because, you know, like we said, the alternative to that is what we have right now, where people just kind of get to ride the CP train and just collect more and more as they have access to these larger events that pay so much. I don't know. I don't really... At this point, there's nothing we can do. I mean, they... I'm pretty sure at Worlds this year, uh, I believe that the top four were all players who got day one and went through day one, right? Uh, oh, yes. I don't know exactly. Oh, yeah, okay. But I do know that they get day one for making it into the top four. Oh, yeah, I know that. No, I'm talking about, like, the fact that even though there are players that did well at Nationals and players that slipped at Nationals and there are good players that had to play in day one, in the end, the top players ended up being from day one. So maybe we'll see something like that happen again. Just because they got a day two invite does not mean that they have the most, like, they're... They have they have an advantage, but it's not like such a crazy advantage that people who get day one cannot still come back and win the event. Yeah, of course. I think the biggest thing is the travel award. Like, the travel award. I think is that's the biggest thing. prize yeah. for everyone really competing for. This is true, and I don't know what to do about that. I can't come up with a solution, so we'll just have to see based off of what they decide to do. Anyway, we're hoping to. Have some stipend announcements. We're hoping to get uh, the release of Bank or an announcement of when Bank will be released. Uh, you know, maybe a more specific date in the future to talk about. Um, lots more to talk about in the coming weeks. We have, uh, we don't have any major events coming up for a while, but our show will continue to go on. Lastly, thank you to Chris Danzo for being on our show. We really appreciate your time and you being here to talk some Pokemon with us. No problem. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun, actually. I enjoy talking about Pokemon and theorizing stuff and just looking back at how much of a good time I had this weekend and just all the unique things that came out of it. Awesome. Actually, do you know how much CP you have now? Like, um, after that event? I, I think I did the calculation correctly, and I should be at, like, 221. So just Not barely bad. under so 50% there. Yeah, almost under 50%. So, very good. Um, so, again, yeah, thanks to Chris. Thanks to Alex for being on. As always, happy birthday to you again. <laughs> can never forget lastly let's wrap up and you guys can go enjoy the rest of your day evening whatever you guys can find us on itunes you can listen to our show there subscribe download us on your phone whatever we're there leave us some feedback feedback you can also leave us at our email address that is vgchypervoice at gmail.com leave us feedback send us a question if you want us to talk about something on the show we'd be happy to do so and we're all on twitter you can follow all of us Chris, where can people follow you? I'm on Twitter as Chris Danzo, so C-H-R-I-S-D-A-N-Z-O. And besides that, that's really all I use, so feel free to follow me there if you wish. Perfect. Guys, you can follow Chris over there on Twitter. 
Alex, where can people follow you? People can follow me at LexiconVGC. Perfect. And I am at SuperMorioka. That will do it for this episode of the Hyper Voice. We hope you guys enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for more, and we'll see you guys next time.